0: So she's a prostitute uh, with a nickname, Big Nose Kate, um, and her real name, I shit you not, was Mary Catherine Horany Cummings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Horany Cummings. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Okay, you know what? Big Nose Kate is fine. Big Nose Kate is (laughs) a fine name. I'd go by that.
0: Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and this week's co-host, George. Say hi, George.
1: Am I being detained?
0: You are being detained. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members of the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that George and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in these The Life of a Now Dead Person I'm still used to the old script. And give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, George,
1: who do we have this week? Well, the latest intelligence leaks indicate that we may be covering Wyatt Earp. I love these jokes. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: I decided that since uh, you covered a North American anomaly of the law last week, I'd cover one this week. There's no way that I can outdo the Mad Trapper of Rat River, uh, but I'm damn sure gonna try. Uh, by the way, I don't I don't know if I told you, but the ratings are through the roof on that episode. Ooh, tell me more. Um, yeah, people freaking loved that story. Uh, it, it outpaced, it literally, we got double the plays on that thing. Uh, of any of our last three episodes within the space of 24 hours, which is ridiculous. I haven't seen numbers like that in a long time. But here's what I think happened. One, great storytelling. And two, people shared the show. They didn't just listen to it. So if you're out there and you like that episode, share it around. And if you like this one, share it too. Like, rate, subscribe, everybody.
1: (laughs) Well, I think all I can really say to that is what I think Albert Johnson would have said in a situation like this. Oh? What's (laughs) What's no, <laughs>
0: nothing because he never said anything. Right. Just <laughs> gotcha. that I got it. Okay. Anyway, so this is gonna be a two-part episode. I tried to squeeze it all into one, but my God, by the time I got to, to like page sixteen, I was like, there's no way this is one part. Uh so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start the story this week and we'll finish it up next week, and it's absolutely crazy. Uh as far as Wyatt Earp goes, I've heard the name But I didn't know what the guy was. And then I started reading. I was like, holy shit! Anyway, so that's where we are. Shall we head down to the
1: history lab? Hell yeah, brother.
0: In a world of lawlessness and squint Eastwood, one man stood up with all of his stupid brothers and said, no. Wyatt Earp, Lawman of the West, famous for shooting people and generally being awful. Infamous for causing problems where none existed before. Join us on an adventure to the Old West where spicy boys still rode with the wind and the law was just a joke. Wisconsin. (laughs) For real? (laughs) So, George, if you had to visit one fictional place, where would you go and why?
1: Hmm. I'm probably Middle Earth, honestly, because let's be real, that's one of just a amazingly developed fictional world that actually has a whole system of myth and culture and society and stuff where a lot of mythical worlds, like if you're not one of the main characters, you kind of get the feeling that you're just literally an NPC that sits there until one of the main characters interacts with you, whereas uh, for me, Middle-Earth feels like you actually might, like, have a job and a life, and maybe a family. You'd actually get to be a real, you know, person, if you even if you weren't a main character.
0: All right, so, like, probably not Mordor
1: then? <laughs> you know, I've heard that they've got some pretty cool stuff on the menu there, but other than that, um, the weather drawback, definitely.
0: The orcs are definitely not uh, not vegans. <laughs> Meat's back on the menu, boys. So they were vegans um, before. Oh, yeah. They were vegans and then they got really hungry and they were like, oh, shit, I guess we got to eat this other orc.
1: We've all been there.
0: <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick a place where I would, uh, some fictional place to go, I think I'd pick the Death Star. Because uh, I'd like to just, There's some. there's some things I'd like to blow up right now. <laughs>
1: There's, there's some planets uh, that will remain unnamed. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, thank you, FBI. Uh, you can join our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash we talk about dead people.
1: Screw you, Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, computer, please bring up Wyatt Earp. Affirmative, my lord. Okay, Aaron, so uh, red pill me on Wyatt Earp.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, um... I'll tell you what he's best known for just to begin with, because that's how we typically do it. And now that James is gone, uh, the formula's falling apart uh, as quickly as the nation. So, Wyatt Earp is best known for shooting people at the OK Corral.
1: Nice. That's it. (laughs) Well, you know, certainly worse things you could be best known for, like oh. I don't know, being a crazy man in a cabin in Northern Canada, but I digress. And so what did this badass mofo look like?
0: (laughs) He was basically a six foot tall mustache. So Wyatt Earp had these really intense eyes which he used to kill lesser men, and a brow line sharp enough to cut a diamond. Like everyone in the Old West, he had a massive nose and a neck as thick as a tree. And I included both pictures to emphasize the uh, long-form intensity that this guy had. So there's that. I
1: think I saw him at a gas station in Texas once.
0: Probably. I mean, there's no way he's actually dead. This guy is a living legend. They, they've they made several movies about him, and they're all lies. Uh, like, they got Kevin Costner to play him in a movie just called Wyatt Earp in the 90s. And I was watching the trailer for it, and it looks like it's a movie about, like, some heroic lawman. (laughs) But this guy was no hero. Um, In fact, that'll bring me right into the first paragraph of the not-script. Which is to say, I learned that Wyatt Earp isn't just a famous name. He's also a very interesting guy. Uh, Which is to say, he's the only person who ever got famous while being named Wyatt his story is a long trail of deeds and misdeeds, a trail often winding wildly away and ending in abrupt gunfire. Let me tell you the story of a man who made the Old West popular and then died whacking off to its memory.
1: <laughs> R.I.P. in peace. <laughs> yeah.
0: Straight up, though, that's how he went out. And but we we'll, we won't get there in this in this half of the uh, this half of the story. We'll have to save that for next week. Because everybody remembers the OK Corral, but nobody remembers what this man's life was actually like. They're like, oh, he killed a bunch of cowboys in like the greatest shootout ever. But they don't know that he, around all of that, he was a total (laughs) douchebag. All right, so uh, Wyatt's story begins in Illinois in 1848.
1: All right, bro, I'm a a head out, I've heard enough.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's what I thought. I was like, oh shit, he comes from Illinois. Oh God, oh no. (laughs) Um, this
1: is a bad beginning
0: yeah he he was the son of Captain Nicholas Porter Earp and you're not going to be surprised at any of this he was a cavalryman who fought in the Mexican-American war and was the father of a total of eight children so
1: good, uh, I, mean, good for I mean that's just him. classic 19th century everyone was the father of eight children even the women were the father of eight children yeah <laughs> it's true
0: <laughs> it was different times man um, his
1: chewing tobacco was probably the father of eight children.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Nick, uh, Captain Nicholas was looking around at his life in Illinois, and he came to a profound realization. <laughs> Illinois sucks.
1: Okay, I'm back on board. I was, I was getting skeptical, but he's, he's won me in.
0: Yeah, Captain Nicholas is woke enough. <laughs> he realized yeah. that Illinois is just terrible. Uh, not even just Chicago, but also that flat wasteland that surrounds it Uh, but there's good news Uh, Captain Nicholas hears rumors of massive tracts of land in California (coughs) ripe for hot pocket farming and decides to join a settler train of about a hundred people the idea is to find a better life for his family in a place that doesn't have Chicago (laughs) so he packs up all his stuff Wrangles the children alongside his wife, Virginia, and starts the long journey to the West. Yeehaw. Unfortunately, on their way to California, they only make it to Iowa. Why? Well, one of the kids got sick, so instead of buying land in California, Nicholas buys land in Iowa, which of course is a very much advisable change of plans. (laughs) I mean, would you rather have land in Iowa or land in California? Let's be honest here.
1: I mean, if you got to choose between you know, human feces in the street or Hawkeye's wrestling, yeah, seems like an easy choice to me.
0: Right. So they made the right decision to avoid the uh, to avoid the needles in the gutter, and the family settles on a 160-acre farm and begins a new and doubtlessly beautiful life, having successfully evaded California's literal siren call. <laughs> But Captain Nicholas needs a job. Fortunately, it's 1861 and you know what that means. It's time for the War of Northern Aggression, also known by its nickname, the American Civil War.
1: How quaint. Yeah,
0: isn't it? I kind of like the, the second name. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's interesting. I've, nev- I've never heard it called that, but I could <laughs> I could see that catching on eventually.
0: Uh, So yeah, there's a big war going on and jobs are opening up all over the place for old soldiers and their sons. So, Captain Nicholas joins the Union Army in 1861, as do three of his boys. They are promptly carted off to the front lines where they fight in many battles, and only one is wounded in action, and he was named of... He was, uh, named James, actually, because of course. Um, but what of Wyatt? That's the guy, I mean, that's the guy we're focusing on. What's he doing? Well, he's not old enough to go to war. Um... He stays home to take care of the farm with his two younger brothers, Morgan and Warren. And like I said, he's only 13 at the beginning of the war, but that doesn't stop him from trying to sneak his way into the Union army several times anyway. The funny part is, his dad catches him repeatedly. Like his dad's like, son, why are you here in this camp? Go home. (laughs) <laughs> um, so he always he's always like sending him back to work the farm like he ought to because the boys gotta learn but yeah it's it's funny because even at 13 Wyatt was showing his true colors <laughs> it's like I'm gonna sneak my way into this fight that I don't belong in
1: I mean it sounds like back back when I was in Vietnam I was getting shot at by people younger than him every day oh god <laughs>
0: Sorry, I had to take a sip of coffee there. All right, so about halfway through the war, Captain Nicholas gets out of the army, somehow, um, and organizes his dream wagon train west, and they go, and they all finally arrive in San Bernardino about a week before Christmas.
1: And it started out so promising, and yet the the siren's call of that blighted coastal state lures (laughs) them in.
0: It's no secret on We Talk About Dead People that we have no fondness for the uh, metropolitan centers of California. So, when Wyatt Earp turned 16, he started working on a stagecoach route with his brother Virgil, who will come up later, constantly, actually. The family is really important in this story.
1: Is this an older or a younger brother? This is an older brother.
0: His it's older, older brother, brother Virgil is a veteran of the, uh, the Civil War um and as veterans you know you you get out you have your ptsd and you have to find work somehow so how about this how about you uh drive uh goods between san bernardino and salt lake city on stage coaches traveling about 750 miles through dangerous territory uh armed only with you know freaking revolvers and double-barreled shotguns and all that kind of shit um Here's the thing that I didn't actually get into with my research, or writing writing the not-script, um, is the involvement of Wells Fargo as a bank and also a stagecoach company, which was delivering stuff all over the states, and was constantly expanding its influence in very weird ways over all the small towns and things. Um, very strange. The history of Wells Fargo is... (laughs) Holy shit! Don't bank with Wells Fargo (laughs) if... If history can teach you anything, avoid the Fargo. Here,
1: can, can we can we mark it here for a mm-hmm. second? The, the sound just got weird. Um, okay. so I'm suddenly having a, a constant... I think an AC unit turned on, so I now have this constant sort of baseline um, sound going on, so I'm gonna okay. try to adjust the gain down. Lower. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's probably good.
0: Okay. Um <laughs> sorry. So yeah, no, I went down a really long uh a rabbit hole with uh with the Wells history of Wells Fargo and my god, what the f-
1: I I have n- well, it's a bank. <laughs> I mean, that oftentimes is pretty much all you need to say. Yeah. If you if you really dig into the history of uh finance and capital both in this country and in others. Um
0: Oh yeah, you recently did a
1: deep dive
0: on economics, didn't you?
1: A little bit yeah i just got i got more or less tired of not understanding some of the things i was hearing on the news when they talk about this percentage and that rate and whatnot i was like you know what i'm gonna learn <laughs> and so i just went and uh, checked out like 10 books on economics from the library and just read them all
0: yeah you're kind of a you're kind of a nutcase just like me when you get onto something you just read and read and read which is part of why Wyatt ERP is going to be a two-parter because I just started discovering more crazy shit the deeper I went. Um, hilariously I like I said earlier, the Hollywood movies portray this guy as like some kind of a hero who had like, you know, a tragic life or whatever. But this this dude was we'll get into it. I'm not gonna spoil it. Um, so anyway, Wyatt's sixteen, he's he's traveling that seven hundred and fifty miles between San Bernardino and Salt Lake City, uh, working as a guard on stagecoaches for uh, I think I think at this point it, it was Wells Fargo, but I'm not entirely sure. He would later go on to work specifically for Wells Fargo. He also worked on the railroad all the live long day, but only for about a year, um, and then he became a boxing ref for fun. And this is important; that'll come up in part two. How he spent his later life um, was as a uh, a boxing ref, which is kind of strange. And and. That'll uh, that'll tie in very neatly with the behavior that he's going to display very, very shortly. So anyway, because the Erps, much like myself, can't seem to pick a place to live, uh, they pack up and move again after only four years in California.
1: I so think they-, they get a free pass on this one, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that shouldn't count for your, like, total of unreasonable moves because I just I can't think of a circumstance where it's not reasonable to leave California to be honest
0: right and they were only there for four years you know that took them four years to figure it out things moved slower back then you know there was like only one heroin addict dying in a gutter you know not like 10,000 <laughs> uh, wow we're <laughs> really we're really dunking on
1: California today quaint idyllic past You only had to step over one junkie on your way to the gas station to buy your Marlboros
0: yep so they move out of California, and this time they go to Lamar, Missouri, where Captain Nicholas becomes a
1: cop. Uh,
0: which is which is really appropriate, because he just got out of the army, he's got some uh, some experience with uh, discipline and weapons and that sort of thing, and of course it's the Old West. Um, so this, this makes perfect sense for an old soldier. And eventually Wyatt Earp would take his job when Captain Nicholas was promoted to Justice of the Peace marking the beginning of a long and weird career of crime and justice.
1: So I take it at this point, when you're the Justice of the Peace, your responsibilities include more than just marrying people who are spiritual but not religious?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when you move up to Justice of the Peace, you literally become Andy Griffith. You have to stop wearing your gun around and everything. Um, And then you get a Barney Fife. Uh, Literally. We'll get there. <laughs>
1: we'll get there.
0: Uh, so it's 1869. Nice. And Wyatt Earp is 21, which means he's late to the having a family party. Uh, because back in the Old West, if you didn't have a family of five by the time you were 20, you were basically a virgin. <laughs> so Wyatt does what he can to counteract this moral disaster and courts and marries the 20-year-old Urilla Sutherland in 1870. Which sounds like the beginning of something like a normal life, but this is Wyatt Earp. <laughs> so Wyatt Earp does the thing you do as a man of the Old West and immediately buys land and builds a house to begin his God-given quest to be fruitful and multiply. He runs into a little problem, though. A problem commonly known as typhoid fever. <laughs>
1: Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a downer. That's
0: yeah. A downer definitely a downer on the newlyweds um this kills yorilla and wyatt's unborn child in the august of the exact same year they got
1: married Ooh. yeah not, so, not looking promising
0: no and and it's like we've already seen a little bit of of who wyatt is and having a disaster like this happen whew, yeah not good um so after living a couple of months alone in the lonely hellhole that once held so much promise for the new couple, Wyatt just sells it all for $75. House, land, everything. Which is sad. So he's kind of
1: of having his midlife crisis except he's 20. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, then again, we are talking about the 19th century, so that's closer to the midlife crisis than currently.
0: That's true. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because people only lived to be 36, I believe, (laughs) back then. Um... In the movie, Kevin Costner burns down his house, like all dramatic or whatever. Um, but Wyatt just—he literally sold it. <laughs> that's what actually happened. He didn't burn it down. Somehow, um,
1: that's like even sadder. Just it's not even—it's not even sort of this dramatic moment. It just sort of like, well, I'm out.
0: Yep. It does make it sadder, but it also shows that the Hollywood interpretation of Wyatt Earp is a little bit more romantic than the guy actually was. Um, Are
1: you telling me that Hollywood would just get up here and lie? (laughs) Uh, Aaron, I think you may have gone too far with the conspiracy theories this time. (laughs) I'm
0: on the domestic terror list. Oh, my God. he
1: will never be able to fly back now.
0: (laughs) So, while all this is going on, he's still the town constable. You know, he's still doing his job uh, arresting, you know 'er ne'er-do-wells and your local alcoholic, you know, all that crap.
1: Breaking Um, up the odd fight on the corner in the saloon. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, But of course now he's dealing with a little of the old despair. Um, So he stopped tending to his responsi- Oof, sorry. To his responsibilities as a lawman. Um, He got sued for basically cheating a guy out of money owed him. Um and then he got caught s- literally stealing a couple of horses with his buddies Edward Kennedy and John Shone, and actually ended up being arrested while still being the constable.
1: So he's he's kind of running running both sides of the law. He's running the the legit side of the town and then he's also running the criminal underworld.
0: Dude, this is the tip of the iceberg.
1: That, that's kind of like, it's kind of how I operated in college to be honest. I mean
0: <laughs> That's actually true. Um So, uh, Wyatt Earp goes to jail, but this doesn't affect him because he just climbs out the roof
1: and flees to Illinois. (laughs) Oh, wow. Talk about out of the frying pan and into hell. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So, in Illinois, Earp shacked up with this woman named Jane Haspel. Or, according to the movie with Kevin Costner, he went and, uh, hunted buffalo with his buddy Bat Masterson. Um... We're not really sure, but the paper trail leads us to him living with this Jane Haspel, and never there's no evidence of him ever going to hunt buffalo outside of his word. Um, there's no photographs, no bills of sale uh, for hides or anything like that. Nothing. There's there's zero evidence he actually went and hunted buffalo. So, this is a part of his controlled narrative in his uh, biographies and that sort of thing, which he had uh, a lot of influence over, as well as his future wife. Uh, to manipulate the story to turn him into something like an American hero, but all of the paper that's not controlled by Wyatt Earp and his wife uh, basically p- shows that he is a he's a huge liar and a major asshole. Um, so we're not really sure if he hunted Buffalo, except that we are sure he didn't. But what <laughs> we are actually sure of also is that he was arrested along with Haspel, uh, his brother Morgan, some guy named George Randall, and a bunch of hookers. For running a brothel out of Jane Haspel's house. So wife dies, goes to jail, breaks out of jail, goes and starts a brothel in Illinois out of some lady's house, and then gets arrested
1: for it. So what you're telling me is that Wyatt Earp was a classic libertarian. Yeah, (laughs) He probably had his recreational McNukes in the basement.
0: (laughs) Wyatt Earp was actually John Stossel with a revolver. (laughs)
1: I don't know. I'm kind of getting some John McAfee vibes here.
0: Yeah. Oh, whoa, shit. Whoa. <laughs> uh, does John McAfee run a fucking brothel out of his tinfoil house?
1: It's not the weirdest thing I've ever heard about him. So speaking of which, didn't the CIA kidnap him or something? I saw something about that on uh, the on internet last time I was uh, bored. You know, I, last time I was bored.
0: <laughs> uh, Operational security, you understand. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I thought he was, like, on a boat with his wife or some shit. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Does anyone?
0: Uh, he doesn't even know. I mean, he's smoking cigarettes inside that tinfoil house, so I'm like, dude's on another level. When you're smoking inside,
1: <laughs> it's... Yeah, that reminds me of... It's the weirdest thing. I remember God, freshman year of college, I was smoking a cigarillo just standing on the sidewalk... And a guy I recognized from my dorm just walked up and started talking to me. and we talked for him a few minutes and he said he was going to the store and asked if I wanted to come because, you know, when you're a freshman in college and people don't have cars, kind of the normal thing is you ask people if they want to go to the store whenever you go. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I didn't really know this guy except that he lived in my dorm. But so I go to put out my cigarillo and he's like, oh, no, no, no. I like the smell. Keep it going. It's like, OK. So I get in his car and he closes all the windows. So we literally drive to the grocery store, like hotboxing this like run down <laughs> car from the 90s with a cigarilla, which is not quite as nice as pipe smoke uh-huh. so it was honestly kind of a miserable drive but like I never looked at that guy the same way again because there was something wrong with him
0: yeah so <laughs> I, I'm going to put in some, uh, some lo-fi because that was basically 1980s Tokyo <laughs> that you were talking about right there <laughs> uh, so yeah let's, let's, uh, let's keep digging on this so he was running a brothel with Jane Haspel and Wyatt and his brother Morgan would later be arrested for the same offense in 1872 for running a brothel out of a gunboat
1: <laughs> that's it was, even better it was a floating brothel is that like a bothel or a both, boatful I don't know just as the founding fathers intended <laughs> exactly
0: so Wyatt was caught um, with uh, Jane Haspel's 16 year old daughter um, who was also a hooker named Sally um, just you know she's 16 so there's that so what we're talking about here is about... We're talking about a guy who spiraled hard. Uh, he was making the front page news for this shit. And they gave him this nickname, which
1: is hilarious. The Peoria Bummer. <laughs> wow, they, they were throwing some major shade. I know. He's not just a Peoria Bummer. He is the Peoria Bummer.
0: Yeah, and Bummer, bummer is... You know, today it's like, oh, Bummer, man. Uh, bummer back then was like literally just, you're a bum. You just live out of people's houses and and do you know stupid shit and things like that. You're a bummer. Um, so what do you do when when you get a name like that? Well, Wyatt Earp's answer to that is to move to Wichita and bring your 16 year old hooker with you. And of course, when he gets there, Wyatt starts a brothel with his brother James, of course, and an Every old time <laughs> what. Every time, every time, and an old brothelite named Bessie Ketchum, because you gotta catch them all, I guess. <laughs> it's a hook I, th- I think I
1: know where you were going with that about catching things, and I'm just, I'm just gonna—I'm not touching that one.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's 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 cursed. Um, so Wyatt's function here at this uh, new brothel is that he might have been a pimp, um, but some historians say he was more like a bouncer. Uh, he was protecting the prostitutes from, you know, guys who wouldn't pay them or were abusing them or that sort of thing. That's how they—they're like, yeah, he—he he was just a bouncer. He definitely wasn't a pimp. And I'm you'll find,
1: sure, you can be both.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you'll find uh, as we go through this story, it's more and more likely that he was actually a pimp and not just your humble bouncer. <laughs> So the brothel business is really good in Wichita because it was a cow town, meaning that beef was cowboyed in. Those dirty
1: cows. What's that about cows? Those dirty cows.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a cow town in more ways than one. Uh, Yeah, so all all a cow town is, is it's just a destination for um, beef merchants known as cowboys uh, to bring their, their cattle in to be transported and or slaughtered. And distributed uh, on the rail lines and that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, there's like there's cowboys in town from all from Texas and other places. And I just have one question for you, George. What happens when a lot of cowboys come to town?
1: Well, if Hollywood is to be believed, usually there's some sort of song and dance number. Somebody does a little soft shoe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, basically that. Um, But just remember. What cowboys were, these were young men who were traveling, you know, up to a couple thousand miles with their cattle, you know, basically roping stupid animals that would wander off uh, and dealing with uh, rustlers and uh, natives and that sort of thing, attacking them, trying to steal the cattle, um, all that stuff. It's this grueling journey where you're armed, you have to be awake at almost all hours and um, And you finally got into town, and you sell all your beef. You're pretty tired, but now you have all of this cash. So guess what happens? I was going to
1: say, that journey basically sounds like a professor leading a study abroad program of undergrads. Uh, Literally, though. (laughs) Except you don't
0: get paid. (laughs) Not enough, anyway. Yeah. So these boys are ready to party.
1: Oh, they, uh... They break open the case of Dr. Pepper, if you know what I mean. Oh
0: yeah, (laughs) they steal the keg from the frat house across the street. Uh, throwback Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, George and I went to college together, everybody. It's not really secret at this point, (laughs) so... Wichita Wichita was full of drunk boys all the time, and drunk, trail-weary boys are perfect targets for... What? Hookers! But it isn't all cowboys all the time out there in Wichita, so when the drunk boys have had their fill of women and drink, they go back to Texas and the town grows quiet. So a dude like Wyatt Earp will be looking for work when it's not cattle season, basically. So Earp has to fill his time with other things. And what's a brothel operator to do when he's not selling women? Well, join the police force, of course.
1: It's only logical.
0: Yeah, it's only logical that a literal pimp would be on the
1: police force. I'm trying to think of some sort of witty comment to make there, but is nothing's coming.
0: I can just hear Sith applauding right now, like, oh, hey, he's he's a lawman and also an asshole who sells women. Yeah, throw out a uh, shout out to Sith. Um, oh, hey, I need to give some shout outs mid episode here. Um, we had a lot of people actually uh, donate to our tip jar at we, uh, WTADP on Venmo last week. Let me just scroll through so I can get their names, make sure everybody gets a shout out for that. Um, you will see none of that, George. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we got a donation of $20 from Seamus, and he says he loved the podcast so much, enjoys every episode. Never financially stable enough to do Patreon, which is why we have the Venmo. Most people aren't financially stable enough to just give monthly donations to something. Unless you're a boomer. Um, (laughs) We
1: also got In which case, we don't want your money. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, We also got a $5 uh, tip from Sophia, and she said, Great podcast today, so good for you, George. Uh, You you held her attention. Yeehaw. And then we got a $10 tip from Adam, who... uh, Who's that asshole? (laughs) He says, is this how the tip jar works? (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Bitch is so rich he sends $10 to test if Venmo's working. I wonder what
1: it's like owning your own private island.
0: It must be nice. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for giving to the tip jar. If you like the show, please, um, you don't have to go to Patreon. It's a a literal racket. If you uh, give to Venmo, we get all of it. If you give to Patreon, Patreon retains uh, a little bit of a fee. So anyway, in 1875, uh, Earp does start working with the town marshal's office. And he's basically, like I said earlier, Barney Fife. Uh, Literally. In 1876, he's sitting around the saloon with the boys. He leans back in his chair a bit too far and, uh uh-oh, his revolver falls out of his holster and goes off, blowing a hole in the ceiling. (laughs)
1: Is this when the musical number starts as they're, like, plastering over the hole they start dancing and singing about accidents happening or something?
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is when I'm gonna play the, uh, the, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm
1: (laughs) Me and the boys fixing bullet holes.
0: Uh, you know, aerating the ceiling. How else are you gonna get that cigarillo smoke to go out of the building? (laughs) Um, so yeah, this is one of those, this is one of those, uh, (laughs) Barney Fife moments that uh, Wyatt Earp and his wife tried to keep out of his biography Um, because they were like, we can't look like we're stupid people, Uh, but thank God uh, some loyal historians and uh, truth tellers decided to keep this Barney Fife moment in the historical record Um, and here's the thing, it would only be a few months more in this lawman's role before he would be fired for practicing high intensity nepotism I didn't know that
1: was even like illegal in the 19th century
0: yeah, <laughs> he was always trying to get the town to hire his brothers,
1: who were operating a brothel as lawmen. I could definitely make some references to the federal government, but I won't.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't. We're already on the list for even mentioning John McAfee. So, um, Anyway, so what's Wyatt Earp to do now that he's lost his summer job? Go with his brother James, of course, to Dodge City to do What? Take a guess.
1: Uh, Turn his life around and get an associate's degree (laughs) in fine art. (laughs) This is Wyatt Earp, George. Ah, business school. No,
0: he's going to start another brothel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I said, business school.
0: Yeah, he literally, literally, he can't help himself. This is how he, this is how he gets along. So in Dodge City, uh, he also gets an assistant marshal's position on the police force. Um, They're really
1: just handing these out, aren't they?
0: They really are. And here's the thing. Back then, being a lawman was like a really hard job, so you get paid a lot. Um, I don't know about when you're an assistant marshal, but if you're like a deputy or the sheriff, you're getting paid like six figures in today's money at, at least. There was a point where he was on a salary of over a million dollars in today's money for being a sheriff somewhere.
1: Jeez. And we'll
0: get there. Yeah. So he also finds work on the side, uh, transporting firewood in his off time. And he turns a neat little profit for this. And hey, uh, at least he's doing something useful and not just, you know, being a pimp. Uh he once left his job as assistant marshal to try his hand at gold mining, which we'll come back later. I
1: mean, did it literally, I'm pretty sure literally yeah. everyone did at some point in the 19th century is like, screw this, I'm going to go find gold.
0: You ever see that John Wayne movie uh The Cowboys?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Great
0: movie. Uh for those of you who haven't seen it, one John Williams scored it and it's incredible. But the story is basically like this old cowboy has a bunch of uh cows that he has to I don't know, boy um, up, up to, uh, some destination. And all his, uh, all his ranch hands and other cowboys are leaving the staff to go and mine gold, um, pan for gold and shit like that during the gold rush. So he has to hire like literal boys who are like in grade school to, uh, to herd the cattle up to the destination. It's a really good movie.
1: Yeah. That's Um, That's an episode of the magic school bus that never aired.
0: Yeah. (laughs) For magic (laughs) school cow. Um, (laughs) Uh, man, there's some jokes I could make there, but I won't. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah, so he uh, he tried his hand at gold mining. It didn't last long. And he ended up uh, back in Dodge City, back on the police force. And in the July of 1878, he was fined a dollar for slapping a prostitute named Frankie. Uh, because he or she, I have no idea which, was basically just chewing him out too much. And he, he just went off.
1: Wait, fined the fine $1. is only a dollar for that?
0: Yeah, only a dollar to slap Frankie. It's funny, it it costs more to slap her in different ways, but I don't know.
1: Uh, (laughs) That
0: was spicy. All right.
1: (laughs) Area 51. What?
0: (laughs) But in October 1877, real shit was going down. An outlaw came to town named Dave Rudabaugh, I think that's how you pronounce it, and he robbed a whole camp. (laughs) Um, And Earp was commissioned as Deputy U.S. Marshal, which means he got a promotion. And tracked Dave all the way to Fort Griffin in Texas. So something like 400 miles uh, all the way down there. But when he was in Fort Griffin, he visited uh, small towns and and stuff like that. And of course, he was going to the saloons and all that stuff looking for information and presumably women and booze. Looking Um, for
1: beans. (laughs) Looking
0: for beans. (laughs) Uh, He's looking for those white monster energies. (laughs) Uh, So at the Beehive Saloon, Earp speaks an old friend uh, named John Shansey, who tells him that Dave Rudabow had indeed been through these parts and had, in fact, played cards in that very saloon. And this barkeep then directs Wyatt to take a gander at that gentleman in the corner. His name is Doc Holliday. Yeah. <laughs> There's a name you recognize,
1: right? Oh, hell yeah. Also, did literally Not an everyone, <laughs> I think everyone in the 19th century had cool or if not cool at least notable names what if it was some sort of like natural selection that only the people with cool names survived because like <laughs> you like read any historical account that was in the 19th century and the names are just off the chain like yeah. there was there was a dude who was born in the 1830s that i was reading about whose literal first name was states rights what? <laughs> states rights gist, and he, he became a general in the Confederate army as one would presume he was destined to be. <laughs> but he was born, you know, in like the 1830s at states rights. Oh my god. Or might have been the 1820s, but it was just like, people had just amazing names.
0: Yeah, there's a guy in this story named Curly John. And the reason he was named Curly John was he had curly hair. He was destined to be a curly-haired guy until his death. It's crazy. Uh, poor Curly John. We'll get to him later. I promise. We'll learn all about the the sad tale of Curly John. That'll probably be next week, though. All right. So uh, Erp approaches this Doc Holiday, who's sitting in the corner of the of the tavern. And Doc Holiday t- takes a look up, pulls on his cigarette, and says,
1: "Ooh, cool. can I play Doc Holiday?
0: You can play Doc Holiday. Here's his
1: line." I played cards with a man named Rootabelle. He's gone on back to Kansas now. In fact, I'm a fixin' to head up there myself.
0: To which Wyatt Earp says, do you play Minecraft? (laughs) 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 Oh man. Okay, so so he meets Doc Holliday and they're like, they kind of are on the same energy. Um, They don't become friends immediately. Um, but Doc Holliday's thinking back to thinking of moving back to Kansas uh, to the same town, uh, Dodge City, that Wyatt Earp is living in. And Wyatt Earp goes back to Dodge City after her hearing about this rude about guy. Um, and Doc Holiday follows him shortly thereafter, along with his common law wife and prostitute known as Big Nose Kate, uh, a hooker whose real uh, wait, name was. Wait, wait, wait. What? You're you're ruining Big my joke right Kate? now. Big Nose Kate. Yeah, Big Nose Kate. <laughs>
1: Wow. That's just... That's that's harsh. Like, geez, I get yeah. it. Like, some nicknames are a little bit mean, but holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. sorry. Sorry, go on. No, it's just... cool. It's cool.
0: So, she's a prostitute uh, with a nickname, Big Nose Kate. Um, and her real name, I shit you not, was Mary Catherine Horany Cummings. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Horany Cummings. <laughs> like... What the fuck? Okay, you know what? Big Nose Kate is fine. Big Nose Kate (laughs) is a fine name. I'd go by that. Dude, like, you were right about the name thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Turns out the game was rigged from the start. (laughs) Jeez. So Wyatt Earp was not able to bring in Dave Rudabaugh, the man who robbed the camp. Uh, Nonetheless, he is appointed assistant marshal again. So they're like, yeah, I guess you didn't get our shit back and catch Dave about, but, you know, might as well make you assistant marshal again. So in the summer of 1878, some boys led by a dude named Ed Morrison ride into town firing guns and generally being idiots.
1: Ah, uh, just like 2016. Exactly.
0: So they go to the Long Branch Saloon and start wrecking shit and being dicks in general, just breaking all the bottles and, you know, harassing the barmen. It's like just ducking behind the counter with a half-burned cigarette and an apron, just going, "Guys, stop!" <laughs> so, Erp, of course, being the lawman, takes action by bursting through the front door of the saloon and immediately finding himself at gunpoint. <laughs> uh, not uh, that's when you could, we could play the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm music again. <laughs> <laughs> so, realizing just how fucked he is, Wyatt tries to calm the boys down with no ava- uh, to no avail. But that's when Doc Holliday shows up from the back room with a pistol, which he cocks behind Ed Morrison, much to everyone's surprise. And it totally works. So the boys disarm. And at this point, Wyatt and Doc Holliday become very good friends. Because he saved his life. (laughs) And it's finally time for Wyatt Earp to actually kill somebody. Because this is what he was all about. It's what he's best known for.
1: So what what number of police job is he on now? Is he on like his, his fourth, is this his fourth police job?
0: Yeah. It's like his fourth police job, uh, fifth enforcement role. I I don't know. <laughs> He's just rolling through them. Word can't travel fast enough about him. Uh, dude. There's his whole staff, people he was working with. They were like laundering money through the police department. They were, uh, stealing cash from the town, uh, you know, committing tax fraud, like, Doc, uh, not Doc Holiday, but uh, uh, Wyatt Earp is just one of them. The whole West, uh, at least in these cities, uh, was just filled with scams and thieves and uh, corrupt cops. It, it was just something else. Um, which will explain the, uh, the rivalry between cowboys and the law uh, as we progress here. Uh, it wasn't just one guy. It was like the whole system was just corrupted.
1: Yeah man, the, the system. Gotta fight the system. Fuck the system.
0: <laughs> you wanna become a communist with me? <laughs>
1: there's um, some who would say society still works that way.
0: Uh, 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 let me get my tinfoil hat. Okay, so uh, yeah, so Wyatt and Doc are really good friends, and we're we're gonna watch Wyatt kill somebody. So there's more drunk cowboys. Riding into town, just blazing away with their pistols at 3 a.m. in the morning. And it's the July of 1878. And in this kind of heat, no one is having it, least of all Wyatt Earp and his team. So Ert gra- Ert, Ert, <laughs> Earp grabs another officer known as Bat Masterson, who was, of course, the guy he said he was uh, hunting buffalo with, um, and an angry bunch of citizens, and runs the boys out of town. So they get Oh, they- yeah.
1: Batman's third son.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Wyatt Earp uh, opens fire on the fleeing rowdy crowd and hits a guy named George Hoyt in the back. Shoots him in the back as he's running away. Uh, George Hoyt falls off his horse, and as Earp tells it, he killed the guy right then and there. But according to history, Hoyt suffered for a month of uh, dying of gangrene. Uh... But in Wyatt Earp's biography, this is, uh, this is hidden from view. And in Kevin Costner's movie, I'm certain he doesn't shoot a guy in the back. Uh... Well, clearly not. Not clearly.
1: Doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That never happens. Cops never shoot people in the back. That never happens. But anyway, so Dodge City didn't have the kind of action that Wyatt was looking for. Uh, sure, it had drunk cowboys you could shoot in the back and plenty of brothels. But what about the real stuff,
1: like a Super Smash Brothers competitive scene?
0: Exactly. So Wyatt uh, gets brother uh, gets brother. He gets word from his brother Virgil that Arizona is really banging these days, uh, and that also Super Smash Brothers tournaments happen all the time there. So he decides it's time to move again. And here's a quote um, from uh, from Wyatt Earp himself.
1: Do you want to play Wyatt Earp? Nah, you can be Wyatt Earp since I was Doc okay. day.
0: All right, let's see. What would Wyatt Earp sound like? The clown he is. Uh, In 1879, Dodge was beginning to lose much of the snap which had given it a charm to men of reckless blood. And I decided to move to Tombstone, which was just building up a reputation. So he's like, I want to shoot people. I'm going to go to a town where I can shoot people. So Tombstone, Arizona is his next destination. Was that a good voice? I thought that was a good voice.
1: I mean, it was pretty annoying, like... And from what you've described of uh, Wyatt Earp, I think it probably fits.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Sounds like a dude who needs a punch in the face. Yeah.
0: Hey, uh, let's, uh, let me mark this. I'm gonna grab some more coffee. Because I am addicted to the caffeine. I'll be right back. Two seconds. You know what James does when I leave the mic?
1: Does he say weird crap?
0: Yeah, he does. No, it. <laughs> I have to cut most of it out. Just because it's kind of weird. Um, Let's see here. So yeah, <clears throat> Wyatt Earp realizes it's time to go to Tombstone, Arizona. So he packs up his new common-law wife, Maddie, his brother, James, of course, his wife, Bessie, and Wait, Doc. wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. So he's got two
0: wives. Uh, He left the first one.
1: Oh, oh, Bessie is James's wife. Yeah. Oh, okay. He uh, said his brother James, his wife Bessie. I thought we I thought we were still listing off from. Uh, okay. The a sense. Like, I was like Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> with a guy like Wyatt Earp, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, he's moved on from his first common law wife to another common law wife who is also a prostitute. Um, his brother, his brother James's wife Bessie, and Doc Holliday and Big Nose Kate, and they all go out to Tombstone for pizza. Uh, and in Tombstone, Wyatt works as a stagecoach gunman for none other than Wells Fargo.
1: The real villain of the story is introduced.
0: <laughs> uh, for real, though. Uh, it, it goes deep. It goes real deep. But uh, here we go. You sent me a meme while we were rec-
1: recording? <laughs> what the fuck? You were drinking coffee, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <clears throat> uh, in 1880... Morgan Earp, uh, Wyatt's younger brother, also moves to Tombstone, leaving a wife in San Bernardino. And then Warren Earp moves to Tombstone, so the boys are back in town, is what I'm saying. Uh, All the Earp boys are there in Tombstone. So Tombstone is getting really Earpy all of a sudden. Uh, That's five Earp boys out there in that there town. Uh, So the Earp demographics are going crazy. (laughs) Uh, Oh, hey, and guess who else goes to Tombstone? Guy Fieri, <laughs> you wish. It's just Doc Holiday and Big Nose Kate. Damn it! Damn, my coffee got cold. Um, Doc holiday has got forty thousand dollars in his pocket, which he earned from gambling.
1: Is he gonna pop some tags?
0: Uh, you wish. Again, um, forty thousand dollars is like a million dollars today. Um, over a million dollars, actually. Uh, so yeah, he's he's uh, he's loaded, and they're all they're all like. Kind of rich from all this corruption and, and shit. So they're a, they're a fun little gang controlling the, the law. So when word gets out that all these herps are around and they're known lawmen who shoot people in the back, they start at getting asked to do lawman things. In 1880, Army Captain Joseph H. Hurst asked Virgil, Wyatt, and Morgan uh, and another Wells Fargo bro named Marshall to track down some federally owned mules that had been rustled in Fort Rucker.
1: So, what you're saying, so they're not, like, legally established as lawmen? They're just kind of like, that's their character class at this point? Like it it's doesn't their really, character class. It's not so much about, like, an official job as, like, you know, what your dex and your uh, strength skill are all set at. It's, it's just like a character class, lawman. It,
0: that's exactly right. You literally I mean, don't
1: it, even have to be... Employed as a lawman, you don't have to follow the law. But at the beginning of the game, you just set your class. Let's see, Harold, bard, not yeah. Let's do lawman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: that's 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 exactly what's going on here. So the team quickly finds these mules at the McLory Ranch, which is a known hive of villainy. Uh, the Earps and the McLories. This is where a uh, a real feud begins with them. Uh, lots of tension between the McLaurys and the Earps. Um, and here they confront the Rustlers. And the Rustlers say, they'll return the mules if the gang leaves. So the gang leaves. And what happens? Well, the McLaurie Cowboys drop by two days later with no mules. And basically, uh, saying, no, you can't have the mules back. And also, we'll kill you if you try to stop us. According to Wyatt Earp. Um... So they forget about the mules for the time being. And <laughs> <laughs> Wyatt becomes deputy sheriff in Pima County and gets paid forty grand a year, which, of course, is over a million dollars today. Uh, it sounds like a lot, and it is, but the deputy sheriff has, like, three major functions besides just being a cowboy handler. He's the tax man, the county assessor, and more. Busy boy. Earning that million. So later that year, a town marshal known as Fred White... Was out on patrol late at night. And, you know, it's the Old West. What are people doing at night? Drinking, banging prostitutes, and enjoying the classic cowboy pastime of shooting at the moon. <laughs> so there's just this gang of dudes, um, five of them, actually, just out there drunk as hell, firing off rounds at the moon. Um,
1: I mean, who hasn't?
0: I mean, it's it's basically... Uh, Boys locker room. Shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna shoot the moon!
0: Uh, so yeah, Fred White sees all this and he's like, Alright, this has gotta stop. So he goes out there and he's like, Hey boys, would you... Would you quit shooting at... At the moon? It's fucking with the tides. <laughs> and the leader of the group is known as Curly Bill bro-sius. Uh <laughs> Curly and, Bill Bro. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So this turns out not so well for Fred White. Um, because Broceus ends up accidentally shooting Fred in the old groin area.
1: <laughs>
0: Yikes. Yeah. Um, so Wyatt Earp in the meantime is sprinting out there with a borrowed pistol and he sees it all happen. So what's he do? He pistol whips Broceus, who thuds over like the drunk mess he is. It's constant pistol whipping. Like, <laughs> it's just for real. <laughs> um...
1: Nothing to say about the pistol-whipping. <laughs> no, sorry, I, lo- I lost my place. excellently um, closed out of a, t- a tab, and now I'm Uh-oh. lost in the the wilds of cyberspace. <laughs> Be careful. Did you
0: ever see that movie Scooby-Doo in Cyberspace?
1: Oh, yes, I did! Way <sighs> back, right? I haven't thought about... jeez, like, that was... yeah, that was... I haven't thought about the old Scooby-Doo in ages. That was, yeah. Those were lit, man. Those were absolutely lit. You remember Zombie Island? No, I don't think I remember that one.
0: That was the first one where the, the, uh, the ghost thing was actually not a person. It was actually
1: zombies. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that, but that like violates all Scooby-Doo canon. It's always the only non-gang member character introduced during the episode. Exactly. Because there's only but ever one.
0: <laughs> there's a scene in that show where Shaggy pulls a zombie's head off with his
1: bare hands. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. That's 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 not how I remember my kids' show.
0: Yeah, that's where I draw the line. Shaggy cannot pull a zombie's head off. <laughs> He's like, it's a mask. It's a mask. Pulls his head off. It's a real zombie. I just defiled a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: that sounds a little bit traumatic, to be honest. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I was scared of that movie. All right, there you go. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. back. Okay, so pistol back. whipping. Yes, pistol yes. whipping. That's what's happening a We're- lot.
0: We're back to it's the how you say
1: It's kinda how you say hello in the old west. Yeah. <laughs> Howdy. Whack. Just <laughs> see an old friend, you both whack each other across the face a couple times.
0: Yep. <laughs> knock each other's cowboy hats off.
1: I would say knock each other's teeth out, but they probably don't have any at this point. Yeah, so.
0: Exactly. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you remember Fred White, the guy who got shot in the dick? <laughs> yes. Okay, I don't know if it was Dick. It was just his it was his groin area. That's all it said. Um, well, he ends up dying two days later. So this dude, Bro- Curly Bill Brosius, goes to trial and is acquitted because it was proven in court that the shooting was accidental. Uh, which, I don't know how the hell that works, but, you know.
1: I mean, remember, of- <laughs> last week, we had, well, you know, yeah, you shot one of my officers, but he survived, so we're going to call it even. You yeah. he just come out. <laughs> it's true.
0: It's a weird world of the law. So, um, Brosius... Uh, actually still held a grudge against uh, Wyatt Earp and actually all the Earps for the whole pistol-whipping thing. He was like... Come
1: come on, he shot a man's dick off and killed him. (laughs) Like, I feel like he's not the one who came out worst in that interaction. I know, but his name name is
0: Curly Bill. He's gotta be kind of stupid, right?
1: Fair. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, um, here's the thing. For what it's worth, Wyatt Earp is not exactly the local cowboy's best friend. Uh, it's not just Brosius who doesn't like him, it's everybody, because they're like, look, you own the brothels that you're arresting us for, like, getting drunk at. Like, you're getting us drunk, uh, having- letting us bang the hookers, and then you're arresting us for having fun and shooting at the moon. This ain't right!
1: So it's kind Um, of like if a corporation was to produce addictive opioids and also produce opioid addiction therapy drugs.
0: Uh, it's kind of like that. Not real. Huh. That doesn't happen today, George. Come on. <laughs> that's that's all made up and fake. Um, in fake news. News. You need to know. That. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, uh, he's starting to get on people's nerves because, like I said, he's the guy who gets the cowboys drunk and then later arrests and shoots them. In the back as they're running out of the city. Uh, Stop
1: resisting. <laughs>
0: But elections are coming up, and it's Wyatt versus his own boss, Charles Scheibel, and another candidate, Robert H. Paul. Uh, I think I got that right. This is the section of the research that almost made no sense to me, uh, how this goes down.
1: But I'm... I'm well, it's pretty... an election. It's democracy, of course. It's right. It's so,
0: Exactly. When you get into the politics, it stops making sense. So I'm not entirely sure... This is going to make me sound really dumb. I'm not entirely sure Wyatt's running for sheriff. I think it was Charles Scheibel or Robert H. Paul. One of them was going to appoint him as deputy sheriff again, and one of them wasn't. Um, And the Cowboys know that they definitely do not want Wyatt as their sheriff or sheriff deputy. Uh, He's bad enough as deputy sheriff. So they hatch a scheme to make sure that Wyatt has no chance of winning. The trouble is, it isn't like today where everyone gets a vote. This is back in the olden days where you actually had to matter to have a say. And apparently there are only 10 people uh, that matter in this election, <laughs> meaning that there were only 10 eligible voters in the uh, county who would all choose the next sheriff in the precinct. So the boys, knowing that they have only one shot, uh, one opportunity uh, to keep uh, to keep uh, Wyatt Earp out of a position of power over them. uh so they start gathering everyone up in town that they can, including children and Chinese immigrants. Uh, oh, sounds long.
1: like election interference.
0: Uh, yeah, it's definitely election. Inter- they're running interference right now. They have all these people cast votes, um, but they didn't stop there. They then proceeded to name all the dogs and the donkeys and the chickens in town, like giving them human names. And they then cast votes uh, in the names of these honorary citizens. And the reason this worked...
1: That makes sense.
0: uh, Yeah, politics makes no fucking sense. It hasn't changed at all. So while this worked... uh, I I mean,
1: this is... Believe me, everyone, this is still how elections work in Chicago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so... (laughs) Why this worked all hinges on the name Henry Johnson, uh, who had certified all the votes from the donkeys and the chickens and the, the Chinese people and all that stuff. Uh, who is this Henry Johnson? None other than one of the cowboys who had been shooting at the moon when Fred White got his dick shot off. Well, well, well. Yeah. <laughs> what have we here? So, uh, a bunch of bullshit goes down and Earp ends up not winning anyway. Um, there was a huge investigation into it and it basically came down to, hey guys, uh, like the court was asked, like, or not the court, but the witnesses were asked, did dogs come in and hand in votes? did chickens come in and hand in votes? And they were like, no, that like that didn't happen. Why are you asking? And they were like, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> so Earp ends up not, ends up not winning the uh, deputy sheriff appointment, so he resigns from law enforcement altogether in 1880, in Pima County anyway, uh, and applies for a new position for sheriff in, I think it's Cochise County. Cochise County. Cochise? Okay. Yep. Hey, you lived in Arizona for a while, right?
1: Yeah, I did.
0: Oh, man. Um, so anyway, the other guy who's running John Bahan, Bahan, whatever, really wants oh, the spot. Was- what?
1: Sorry, I just, that name. There was a weird kid in my dorm one year with that name. I forgot about it. Sorry, I just, I hadn't heard that name in years and suddenly just brought flashbacks.
0: John Bahan? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. He's still alive.
1: <laughs> he might be listening to this podcast. No, he's probably not. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he could read. <laughs>
0: He doesn't even have to read, he just listens. He can't even listen. Listen, John. (laughs) So anyway, this guy, John Bahan, is running, and he really wants a spot, and he's actually a much more popular election candidate uh, than Wyatt. So John's like, all right, Wyatt, let's talk. Let's make a deal. So he offers Wyatt a deal. Um, If he pulls out of this almost certain loss of the election, Bahan promises to make Wyatt Earp the new undersheriff. He's like, just don't run. I'll win it automatically and I'll make you the new undersheriff. Full salary, everything. You can still run your brothels or whatever. So Earp's like, all right, as as long as I can run my brothels. So he pulls out. And what happens? Bahan appoints a different man. Meaning that Earp has been unexpectedly put on on the useless bastard
1: trail. (laughs) (laughs) He pulled the old uh, switcheroo card.
0: Yeah, switcheroo buckaroo. (laughs) Uh, but Bahan has troubles of his own. His longtime girlfriend and popular courtesan, Josephine Sadie Marcus, catches him in bed with her friend's wife and kicks him out of the literal brothel he's living in. <laughs> Classic sheriff. This is, it's just, it hap- it's, oh my God, it's so bad. Um, but Earp gets the last laugh with this one um, because with Bahan out of the running for her affections, she starts sleeping with who? Wyatt Earp Allegedly
1: <laughs> Oh wow
0: <laughs> yeah, So Bahan won the election but he lost his
1: girl To
0: Wyatt fucking Earp And the, the huge joke of this Is that uh, Sadie Marcus who hated being called Sadie Wanted to be called Josephine uh, She was really all about Like not being in the biography She didn't want anyone to know she I was mean like, in
1: fairness would you
0: no, but Wyatt also didn't want her in it. But they were like clearly fucking each other, um, and they were all like, "Oh, we're not together." But th- yeah, they were so together. It's not. Even- uh,
1: you know, we've had so many things that just remind me of college. In this, we all knew those people in the dorm who weren't together.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. We feel all free
1: knew. to tell a story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh God, I don't even want to get into that, man. You remember that? You remember that? That uh, dude with the name that started with the word N. Remember I'm that done. Guy?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I can't. I can't. The one who went anymore. to the hospital. I. Oh, no. 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 We're not going to
0: talk. Maybe. Maybe on. A, if we ever do a and A, we'll answer the, the the story about the the man with the name that started with the letter N.
1: <laughs> the man. The myth. The legend. The cult the leader. Insuff, the insufferable bastard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, man, okay. So Earp's on the useless bastard trail. He's sleeping with his opponent's uh, uh, girlfriend who's also a prostitute. Uh, And uh, Doc Holliday, even though he's uh, Wyatt Earp's best friend, has some strong feelings about uh, Wyatt Earp's new girlfriend. Why? Well, it's as simple as this. Josephine Sadie Marcus was Jewish. And Doc Holliday was no fan of Jews. (laughs) Which is hilarious because uh, he confronted Wyatt Earp and he's like, yo, I, I have a real problem with you sleeping with a Jew. And Doc Holliday at one point called Wyatt Earp, quote,
1: damn Jew <laughs> I'm going to be real with you, Chief. I didn't even know there were, like, Jews in the Western states at this point.
0: <laughs> Apparently there were, and Doc Holliday
1: was not a fan. He was not happy it, okay.
0: Well, here's the other thing, is that, um, Josephine Sadie Marcus didn't want to be called Sadie Marcus, because Sadie was a popular name uh, for Jewish women, and it was also a popular name for prostitutes. So she wanted all of that uh, kept out, uh, because I, I think she just, she just didn't want anyone to know. (laughs) She had uh, multiple names, actually. Uh, Her name kept changing, too. Um, She had literally multiple official identities and was logged in censuses under different names and towns of origin. This was normal for a prostitute, but it made documenting her as a figure in Wyatt's life very difficult. In fact, when people started writing Wyatt's many biographies, she was going out of her way to keep her name out of the books. Uh, She also told these biographers that Wyatt Earp never drank and that he didn't even own any brothels, which is, of course, ridiculous because we have all of the documentation we need to prove that Wyatt Earp was simultaneously running the law and running the brothels. Um, So yeah, this woman was a liar is what I'm saying. (laughs) She uh, interfered with the writing of all of of the the biographies she could before she died in the 1940s.
1: And then so. she, her legacy lived on in Hollywood <laughs> yeah. film adaptions.
0: Yeah, I'm sure in the movie she's like portrayed as this, uh, this, this sweet um, country girl. I watched the tra- <laughs> like I said I watched the trailer for that movie and it is so not what happened. It's just like Wyatt Earp was a goddamn hero. Uh, no, <laughs> the, the all the historical sources I found on this were like you can't read it and be like Earp was a good lawman. He was running both sides of it. So anyway, in 1881, Earp is working as a bouncer at the Oriental Saloon in Tombstone. And he has his buddy, Bat Masterson. uh, um, Well, I should say he and his buddy, Bat Masterson, eventually became actual gambling staff. They were running faro tables or faro. I don't know what it is. I've never heard of it before. Do you know what that is? Um, No. It's some kind of gambling. I don't know. I don't gamble, so that's why I don't know. Uh, the same year, however, the cowboys are still doing their thing. Three of the boys tried to hijack a stagecoach that was carrying about a half a million dollars in today's money. Uh, yeehaw. And they were Yeah, yeehaw indeed. These cowboys ambushed the stagecoach, shot the driver and the only other passenger, and stole all the silver. However, Earp, being a lawman at heart, organized a posse to hunt down these robbers. And this was all fucked up, too, because, again, we're talking about a very corrupt lawman. So it's entirely possible that uh, Wyatt Earp essentially had these guys rob the stagecoach, kill all the witnesses, and or was working for them, and then turned around and said, I'm the law, and these guys are guilty. Uh, I-, I had trouble following who was lying to who. Because wow. there's so much court testimony Wyatt, about all... Wyatt
1: Earp is like the... The spiritual predecessor to the FBI. Jeez. Yeah, for
0: real. Um, <laughs> we're definitely going a list after this one. But it was uh, it was certainly implied, at least by the guys who did it. They were like, Wyatt Earp made us do it. He told us to do it. He was going to give us a cut um, if we did it, and he was going to get us off the hook. But he kept all of it and didn't let us off the hook. But I, I couldn't make heads or tails of how exactly. I would say probably the uh, Cowboys... It seems more than likely the Cowboys were hired to do this because uh, Wells Fargo had uh, such problems with corruption, they were constantly firing people who had been uh, stealing money from the company for, like, years. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a huge mess. Um, so, meanwhile... A, it it sta- still
1: is if you read the news.
0: Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, another stagecoach robbery happens, and Earp managed to, managed to uh, track down the suspects, who are, of course cowboys from the McLaurie family. And this, of course, increases tension between the Earps and the McLauries in general, as it seems like Earp just keeps getting arrested on those... He keeps uh, arresting those damn McLauries.
1: Um, I'm just remembering the uh, the Spider-Man pointing meme. Yeah, (laughs) But when the lawman finally catches up to the mastermind behind the stagecoach robbery, Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and I think, I think largely the McLories, uh frustration with the Earps was that the McGlory's, being criminals, knew that the Earps were worse than them. Um, yeah, no,
1: because at least the mclaury's don't, you know, pretend to be the law.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the McGlory's are just, they're not really... Uh, not really happy with the Earps. And it's the whole family, it's not just Wyatt. Um, all of them are constantly terrorizing them. You know, they're just trying to steal from a stagecoach without killing all the witnesses, like good
1: criminals.
0: <laughs> um, there's also uh, Ike Clanton and Billy Claiborne, among others, now threatening to kill the Earps in retaliation.
1: So are they members of the McClory gang?
0: Uh, I th- or are they just o- other so. people
1: who hate them because they're scumbags?
0: Ike Clanton individually hated the ERPs probably more than the McLauries ever did. Ike Clanton is like, he just, yeah, we'll get to it. Ike's got his own story here. So, um, they're wanting to kill the ERPs, and in general, the cowboys, as we've learned, all the cowboys in the area don't like the Earps, uh, basically because they were badge-flashing jerks who ran both the underground of Tombstone and the upper echelons of law enforcement. And on top of it, the Erps ban- uh, banned guns within the city limits, which of course made the cowboys mad because now they couldn't shoot at the moon.
1: Now they, they've gone too far. They've, they've gone, too far. gone too far. Yep. Shall not be infringed.
0: <laughs> Bitch. Neil Eckert. Neil, we need to get him on here. Neil Eckert of the War and Conquest podcast. Uh, he does uh, his podcast is all about like. Uh, Wars and, and Conquest. And it's oh, really interesting. Thanks
1: thanks for explaining that to me.
0: You're welcome. He, he just finished a series on the uh, Third Crusade, I believe. I just started listening to it recently, and it's really interesting, and it's got this dry humor to it that I can't get over. Um, but yeah, he would... Uh, <laughs> he, he a, we did an off-the-rails together where we talked about guns, and it was really funny. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the Cowboys aren't happy because now they can't have their pistol shooties, and the Earps aren't happy. Ike Clanton isn't happy. Nobody is happy. And Morgan Earp really believes something big and bad was about to go down. So he sends word to Doc Holliday in Tucson that he needs his get, to get his ass back to Tombstone. Because he's like, it's all coming down. Um, so meanwhile, word gets out uh, that the that Ike, Clanton, and the boys are coming down to sell some beef in Tombstone. And they're like, oh god, something bad's going to happen. Ike Clanton's coming to town. And a couple of undercover detectives for Wells Fargo, some bank or something... Got word of this and informed Morgan er- Morgan Earp that trouble was brewing. So yeah, these company men are now telling the law that somebody is coming to town to sell some beef, and they need to have their uh, need to have their guns ready. So Doc Holliday actually confronted Ike Clanton when he got to town, and Clanton was kind of drunk, and the argument got so heated that Virgil Earp shows up and threatens to arrest them both for fighting about all this stupid shit. Uh, And at this point, Ike snaps and vows to kill them all in the morning with this here revolver. Um, And, like, he does that, and nobody really takes it seriously, though. In fact, Ike Clanton ends up playing cards with Virgil Earp the whole night uh, through at the saloon in the back room. He's like, I'm going to kill you in the morning with this revolver, and then they, like, sit down together and play cards. (laughs) I have no idea what to make of that.
1: They're just they're back there playing split screen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hot pockets in the microwave. Yeah. So at <laughs> 8 a.m. the next morning, the card game finally breaks up, and Ike is still drunk and making threats. And the barkeep is like, "Yo, shouldn't you go to bed?" And Ike was like, "No, I got some herps to kill." He then threat uh, Ike then went and threatened Virgil some more, who didn't take it seriously. Um, and Virgil was like in bed, like drunk, trying to get to sleep. He wakes up. Ike's there like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And Virgil's like, okay. So he sits there and listens to Ike ranting about how much he hates Virgil. And then he just, like, Ike stops and he goes back to sleep. (laughs) It's so weird.
1: Different Um, times. Different Different times.
0: So Ike heads over to the West End Corral to pick up some weapons he'd left there. Uh, And then he proceeds to drink more alcohol and tells anyone who will listen that he's looking for the Erps and Doc Holiday. And Doc Holiday hears about this and hits the streets. But before Holliday gets a chance to shoot it out with Ike, Morgan and Virgil Earp find Ike first. He's in the street, raging about the Earps, still carrying his weapons, probably sipping from a whiskey bottle. Just like, I'm gonna kill these Earps. I'm just gonna shoot them all at this here gun, robber. And they so they come out, and what do they do? They pistol whip him into submission.
1: <laughs> just saying hello.
0: Yeah, and bring him. They bring him to the courthouse to be fined for having weapons on his person in town.
1: Sounds like infringement to me.
0: Yeah, so the fact that Virgil played cards with a guy who was strapped all night long after the threats waits till morning when he's in the streets and everybody's watching to arrest him. I, ugh, it's just, ugh, it's something else. So anyway, Ike Clinton had to pay $25 plus court fees and his guns were temporarily confiscated. Meanwhile, just outside the courthouse, Tom McClory, another McClory, just another McClory, is getting what pistol whipped for having a gun on his hip, and the story behind that is basically uh, I can't remember who did the pistol whipping, um, but he asked, he's like, "Do you have any guns?" And Tom McClory's like, "No," and he like pulls his his uh, it's cold right now, so he pulls his coat open. He's like, "There's no gun here," and then the guy's just like, "Ah, guns!" So he starts pistol whipping him. And the McLauries get more and more pissed off. Um, And cowboys outside of Tombstone and outside of the McLaurie gang hear about this, and they mobilize, heading into town to get revenge for all the pistol whippings. Two of these cowboys are Billy Clanton, who's Ike Clanton's brother, and Frank McLaurie, Tom's brother. So, they all ride into town, armed in violation of town ordinance, and go to a gun shop to buy ammunition. And Virgil Earp hears about this and goes to verify this claim at the gun shop. So he peeks through the window and he's like,
1: Where's the Clantons?
0: Where's the McLauries? And he sees them he's like, Oh God! And he scrambles away. He sees all four of them, Ike, Billy, Frank, and Tom, buying a ton of ammo. And of course, he's starting to get a bit bit scared. Almost like he's going to have to pay some kind of bill here in the future. I don't know. Mm. Um, so, Virgil goes and gets a double-barreled shotgun from his office at Wells Fargo, different times.
1: <laughs> okay, so he's still. Oh, so he's still working for Wells Fargo.
0: At yeah, time. he's a lawman who works for Wells Fargo. Um, mm,
1: the, laws, the laws... Cor- contro- corporate government nexus.
0: Yeah, the law controlled by the bank, tale as old as time. Um, and he gets this shotgun and he conceals it underneath his duster. And from here, he goes to the saloon to basically wait for shit to go down. And the cowboys, now fully loaded, Go to the OK Corral to discuss their next move. And here's a quote from a civilian who was kind of watching all this and it was reported on later in the newspaper. It says, I was in the OK Corral at 2.30 p.m. when I saw the two Clantons and the two McLoreys in an earnest conversation across the street at Dunbar's Corral. I went up the street and notified Sheriff Bahan and told them it was my opinion. That they meant trouble and it was his duty as sheriff to go and disarm them i told him they had gone to the west end corral i then went and saw marshal virgil Earp and notified him to the same effect so we got a snitch here is what i'm saying disgusting ah disgusting oh i wish my coffee wasn't cold okay so sheriff Bahan hears about this and he's like alright, uh, I'm at the barbershop right now getting a shave, but I'll take care of it in a minute. (laughs) So when he's finally done with that cowboy classic, he heads out to find these armed boys. And he does, and he tells them to give up their arms. Most of them insist that they are not actually armed. Um, and this is where testimony gets all all fucked up. Remember that Bahan and Virgil, or uh, the Earps are not, like, great friends because Wyatt, you know, stole Bahan's girlfriend. Um, so he, he tells the, uh, well, I'll just get into it a little bit. So Frank L- McLaurie tells Behan that he'll only give up his weapons if the Earps give up theirs, which is a total pro-gamer move. Um, it seems reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> so Virgil Earp, in the meantime, hears about all this and heads out with Wyatt, Morgan, and Doc Holliday to disarm those damn cowboys once and for all. Virgil gives his double-barreled shotgun to Doc Holliday in exchange for his walking stick. Um, downgrade, but some people play Dark Souls with a keyboard, um, but they were all armed with revolvers. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, he, he's, uh, Doc Holliday's got the shotgun, uh, Virgil's got a pistol and a walking stick. Um, and so they're approaching the OK Corral and they see Sheriff Bahan walking away from the group of, some group of cowboys looking nervously over his shoulder. Um, he's like, like looking back at them, like, I don't know. I don't know, they might be, I don't know. And he comes up to Virgil and he says, For God's sake, don't go down there or they will murder you. And Virgil responds, Those men have made their threats and I will not arrest them, but I will kill them on sight. (laughs) So Bahan actually testifies later that he told Virgil that they had already been disarmed. They didn't have any weapons he hadn't seen any weapons. He was like, "Don't go down there. Like, just they're gonna kill you." But you know, they don't have any guns or anything. All conflicting shit. You know, these all these guys are corrupt. You know, Bahan might have been, you know, saying, "They're disarmed." He, 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 wanting yeah, I mean, to get to, the Erps killed. To be killed. fair,
1: Bahan's life would probably be a lot easier if they all shot each other. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. So the Erps are like, "We're gonna go kill these motherfuckers," and they step into the alleyway, at the end of which stands uh, a group of six angry cowboys. Seeing the herps coming, they step forward to begin the confrontation. And Virgil shouts, Throw up your hands! I want your guns! And so Frank and Billy draw and cock their revolvers. <laughs> Virgil's like, oh, fuck. Um, oh, shit, I lost my place. Sorry. I backed out of the not script. <laughs> oh, shit. Right when shit's about to go down, this all happens. Uh, where are we? Yeah, so Virgil's demanding their guns. Frank and Billy draw their pistols. In an instant, gunshots start going off. Uh, according to witness testimony, the first two shots came from Wyatt Earp and Billy Clanton. Uh, which, again, we really don't know who started firing first because the Earps are like, Billy Clanton fired first, and, you know, Clanton's the Clantons are like, yeah, Wyatt Earp totally just started shooting at us for no reason.
1: Yeah, so my understanding is kind of this the entire narrative of the actual fight because it has one big asterisks after it.
0: Yeah, I- exactly right. Um, In the movies, of course, it's displayed that Wyatt Earp was, he was a sad boy who didn't want to kill those young guys, those cowboys. um, And he just had to, he just had to shoot him. Oh my God. No, <laughs> it's not that simple. Kevin Costner can go fuck himself. Um, all right, so the shots are going off. Uh, Clanton misses. Wyatt Earp shoots Frank McLaurie in center mass, right through his stomach. Um, so Tom ducks behind his horse and fires. It like he's just like get it, gets behind his horse. He doesn't like knock it over or anything like in the movies. And he's just <laughs> allegedly, according to Wyatt Earp, firing a couple of shots over its back. You know, I'm not going to say allegedly. I'm just going to give you the 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 official, authorized version of the story, and then I'll then I'll break it down later. So at this point the slow motion kicks in and Doc Holliday pulls the shotgun out from under his uh, his duster and he hurries around the horse and blasts Tom at the ch- in the chest with both barrels uh, at point blank range. Um, That'll do it. Yeah. Then in a total pro gamer move. Holiday Holliday throws aside the shotgun and draws his nickel plated revolver, firing at Frank and Billy. In the midst of all this chaos, Ike Clanton runs up to Wyatt and grabs him, yelling that he didn't want to fight after all. Um, but it's too late for that now. Wyatt shouts to him, Go to fighting or get away. Or, Go to fighting or get away! (laughs) Um, so Ike's like, Stop shooting my brothers! And Wyatt's like, It's too late now, they're going down, buddy. Um... So, Billy Clanton gets blasted through the wrist. This disables his right hand, so he can't fire, so he takes the pistol in his left hand and continues firing back at the Earps until all of his rounds are spent. He doesn't hit anything, um, because he's- Well,
1: it makes sense if he's not left-handed.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Then Morgan Earp trips and falls right on his face in the middle of the fight, which is hilarious.
1: You've always got one of those in any (laughs) group. Any gunfight, there's always that one dude whose pants fall down or trips or something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he he trips and falls, and everyone looks and starts laughing, and it draws attention to him. So as he's getting back up, he gets shot right across the back. Uh, it, like, shreds both of his shoulders and barely misses his spine. Um, and then Virgil immediately takes a bullet to the calf. Um and Frank leads his horse out of the alley, uh, but gets shot in the gut before he gets away. He was trying to escape, and they shot him uh, again. And he struggles along for a little bit until, until he takes a bullet to the back of the head. So he's dead. Um, Billy also ate dirt, getting shot in the chest and abdomen. He slumps against a horse and fires a couple more shots. And then he runs out of ammo and starts yelling for more, but by this time, it's all kind of over. Tom McLaurie, Frank McLaurie, and Billy Clanton all, desi- all uh, died as a result of this fight. So, looks to me like one side took more casualties than the other, despite being uh, allegedly better armed. Um, so that's the official version of the story, but Ike Clanton had seen it differently. He filed murder charges against the ERPS, and Sheriff bah- Bahan had his back. Bahan was convinced that not only were the Cowboys visibly disarmed, but also that the Earps had fired the first two shots to begin with. At least that's what he said in his testimony. He could be a lying bitch too, we really don't know. There wasn't enough evidence to convict the Earps and Doc Holliday, but the court of public opinion had already ruled their guilt. Virgil Earp was ambushed and had his shoulder blown away with a shotgun in the December of that same year. Ike Clanton's hat was found near the scene could have been planted. We don't know with these uh, corruption games. Morgan Earp was playing billiards in a saloon on the 18th of March, 1882, when he was shot by some unknown boys in the alley. His spine was literally shattered and the killers got away.
1: Now, that's... He's the one who fell down and got shot in the back earlier, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so
1: he's he's not a lucky man.
0: No, he got his... They missed his spine the first time but they got it the second time. But this is all very upsetting for the Erps because this is, you know, this is the first time the Cowboys have actually gotten revenge for what looks like the uh, organized mass shooting of the uh, Clanton boys and the McClory's. Um, at least these are the two narratives that are flying around. The McLauries and the Clanton's probably really do believe that, you know, the Erps are targeting them specifically. The Erps probably really did believe that they were doing, you know, well, I take that back. They were making the power move, you know? I don't know. Either way, there's multiple versions of this story. The one that seems most likely to me is that these corrupt lawmen uh, essentially engineered the murder of these of these guys. At least that's how the, uh, the cowboys see it as well. Uh, so, the killers got away. But Wyatt Earp wasn't having it. There was no way he was having it. Remember who we're talking about here? A violent, corrupt lawman and outlaw who was like basically organizing crime and then arresting the people uh, who were committing the crimes and pretending to be a hero, meanwhile running a brothel. There's no way he's just going to let this slide. Um, So this begins what is called Wyatt Earp's Vendetta Ride. And we're going to save that part for next week because the Vendetta Ride is the next level of this story where things just go completely off the chain uh, and it leads us into Wyatt Earp's... uh, later years and uh basically how at the end of his life he um became well we'll we'll just save it for uh we'll just save it for next week Mm -hmm. so any thoughts so far on the story george
1: Yeah, so I mean, I really didn't uh, didn't know much about. um, I think I was actually I was Wyatt Earp for Halloween, like probably when I was five or six, which I I feel I feel shitty about now. Like, geez, I didn't know he was such an asshole. Yeah, Um, but no, this is this is mostly new to me. Um, I always had like a little bit of a sort of sneaking suspicion that they might have been the bad guys in the shootout, mostly because the official story was that they were the good guys, and I'm I'm the type of person who tends to. Question the official stories on things. So I always had a suspicion there might be more to it, and so you have you have confirmed me in my aluminum hat or aluminum foil hat conspiracy theory ways. And um, basically, I'm pretty sure Whitey did 9/11.
0: <laughs> you know, as I was reading it and looking through the official sources, reading the you know the original documents, you know the court reports, all that stuff, I was just going, how the hell did this guy become a hero? I don't know how how these kinds of people become cultural heroes when it's on the books that they you know, literally ran prostitution rings and murdered people. Uh, Shot people in the back as they were just, you know, being rowdy and and running away, you know. Um, I I don't know how these people become heroes except that uh, people conveniently ignore the uh, truth about them or or they're inconveniently shown only the positive things and it's reframed and You know, like, Wyatt Earp, for example, burning down his house after the death of his first wife uh, versus, you know, selling it for $75. It's like, one version of that is the Hollywood version, and the other version of that is the true version. And... I don't know, I just... it's just... it just disgusts me. Because I put... I put Wyatt Earp on the calendar, on the schedule, before I knew any of this, I was like, yeah, it's a cowboy. It'll be interesting." There's a shootout at the OK Corral. And nobody knows what that is. They just know the name. Let's let, let's investigate it. Let's get real. Uh, let's get real JFK assassination level investigation uh, on this. You know, this one gunfight that was legendary and romanticized and all that
1: stuff. Wait, did Wyatt Earp shoot JFK too? <laughs> that, that bastard. Wyatt Earp was JFK. He can't. He can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> he can't keep
0: getting away with it, no sir. Um, but yeah, I put him on the list, and I was like, this guy's a cultural hero. He'll be interesting. And then I started reading it, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Like, he not only owned like a brothel, he owned several brothels, <laughs> and you know, just got people drunk and then arrested them for it. It it was... it was a circle of life. (laughs) The circle of deception. Uh... But yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing is like, I wasn't... It's not like I was going to fringe sources like some historical revisionist book where it was like, Yeah, Wyatt Earp was actually the bad guy. I was just reading the real sources and it's just piecing this story together. And it was like, holy shit! (laughs) This guy is insane! Um... But yeah, I'm excited to f- to finish it up next week because, you know, I started writing it and I was like eight pages in, and I'm like, I've only touched the tip of the iceberg here, um, and I uh, I don't know the way he ends his life is pretty, I don't know if the word's ironic, but it's it's pretty much something you would guess. I mean, we how, should
1: uh, we what I was gonna say we should also talk about next time maybe a little bit of why he was kind of. Um molded into a cultural hero um and sort of what relation does the hero wider have to the actual person and you know how did the process happen i'd be i don't know what your thoughts are but i'd be interested in maybe at the end talking a little bit about that about that process of sort of valorization of a not especially valorous record
0: yeah hey if you want to look into that and put together your own thing just a couple of like trivia bits uh, we'll save it for the end. Um, hopefully it won't be into a part three. But, you know, I've, I haven't... I did some basic research on Earp's Vendetta Ride. Um, and it it goes it goes deep. So who knows? It might be a part three. Um, might be a part three edition. Kind of doubt it, though. Because at this point, he's old enough that his years are going to get start getting boring. It's You know, the story is going to start being like, He lived in a hotel and spent all his money on things for like ten years. You know, he's going to go through his boomer phase. Oh God! Um, <laughs> gonna, gonna,
1: buy, gonna, gonna buy that Corvette.
0: Yeah, gonna buy that, that Corvette and uh, mingle with others at the golf club, um,
1: drinking those white monsters.
0: <laughs> Is that the choi- Drink of choice of boomers? I don't know. Um,
1: I don't know. I saw I saw it in a meme. I don't know. I don't, I don't,
0: okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I think that's enough for today. We've we've clocked a good uh, ninety-seven minutes here, and I think we should head to the surface. What do you think?
1: Sounds good to me.
0: All right, let's uh, out of here.
1: <laughs> that was a stretch.
0: Yeah. Just like Wyatt Earp's story about the OK Corral.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, George, what are you going to do for the rest of the day?
1: Oh, well, I think I'll probably uh, go buy a duster and a revolver and get drunk and shoot at the moon.
0: That's a great idea. What about you? Uh, Something to do with Hot Pockets and raccoons, I don't know. Probably find Wyatt Earp's grave and taking a good, hard, long, satisfying look at it.
1: <laughs> Maybe dig a trench in your cabin?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, dig a, I'm going to dig a trench around his grave. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you are probably right. So, consider funding the show by either becoming a patron on patreon.com. If Patreon is not your thing, we love getting tips. It's really it's a really cool one-time thing to do. Even a couple bucks is super awesome, very encouraging. You can drop us a note. We'll read it on the air. Uh, our Venmo handle is WTADP. All that money directly supports the show. We don't get a ton of it, but every little bit that we get helps. Uh, Hosting costs have gone up this year, so uh, give us your money. Our cover art. Oh, and if you can't give us your money, I emphasize this again. Share the show. Tell people about the show. It's the only way to spread it. It's your duty as a WTADP listener to tell everyone about your favorite conspiracy theory show. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So our cover art was created by Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of the OK Corral and Corruption play you out.